tonight. Um, I know it's cold outside, so you have braved the cold and fatigue to be here. So thank you for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, so last week we asked the question, why am I such a mess? So we looked at the first half of Genesis 3, which tells the story about how Adam and Eve fell into sin, and therefore um, we saw how there was death and guilt and shame and brokenness therefore entered the world. And because of that, we talked about how we hide from God and one another. This week, I want to take that, I want to expand that further, that conversation deeper and wider. I want to ask the question, why is the world such a mess? And I want to see what the rest of Genesis 3 has to teach us about that and what we can do about that. And before I get, uh, go any further, I just want to let you know that there should be, is there a number? Yeah. There is a number. Um, that you can text your questions and we'll hopefully have responses to that later. Um, the passage we're looking at tonight is really, can be a little hard. Um, and so feel free to text your questions as anonymous. I want to welcome you tonight, whether, as we mentioned before, if you're consider yourself a Christian or not, we're here together to study the truth, the scriptures, and I want to invite you to ask questions. Um, so I remember a time before OOTD, Instagramming your stylish outfit of the day, that we had a W-O-T-D, word of the day. I would go to my first grade class, rocking my Oshkosh, just look it up, the most stylish I've ever been in my whole life. I think I peaked at age seven. Um, and my, our teacher would teach us a new vocabulary word, and would teach us then how to use it. Words like question, and precious, and curious, Consequences. Oh yes, consequences. I learned that word. That's terrifying. Way there are consequences for talking while the teacher is talking and acting up in class. Uh, consequences meant color card changes. I don't know if anyone here knows what that means. You do? So you acted up, you got a color card change, and your mom and dad could report, and I would get disciplined, and no, that didn't mean timeout. It was a little more forceful on the behind than just timeout. Just to get the point across. So, you know, I've got a word of the day for us today and tonight, and it's brought to you by the letter C, Cookie Monster. The word of the day is curse. Curve, the word curse. So what do you immediately think about when you hear the word curse? Uh, Webster's definition of it is a prayer of invocation for harm or injury to come upon one, a profane or obscene oath or word, something that's cursed, or a curse, evil or misfortune that comes as if in response to imprecation or as a retribution, a cause of great harm or misfortune. So not exactly uh, daisies and sunflowers, is it? Or maybe you think about um, the newest horror movie that you just watched. Some of you love horror movies in this room. Um, you just watch around about Halloween and you learn about how someone was cursed long ago and so the spirit of that dead person now haunts this place or this house and torments this smart group of people inside. It was a great idea to be lost in the woods and find shelter in a creepy abandoned house. So it's just, we think of curse as the stuff of movies, maybe set in medieval times and wizards and warlocks, hocus pocus, magical stuff, supernatural. I call this the word of the day because it's a really important word. It gets repeated over and over in Genesis 3. And what we're going to look at tonight is that our world is cursed. 
that's cursed ever since the first sin in the fall because sin entered into. Now, you might not think of the word curse very often, but I bet what you have done is that you've uh, looked at the news today, you, you scrolled through your phone, you thought, what on earth is wrong with this world? Like I did a few days ago when I saw the news that a man was stabbed to death because he cut in line uh, for a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Or when you hear about the underprivileged being pushed out of the neighborhood of a lifetime because of gentrification. Or when you learn about forced organ harvesting in Chinese prison camps for political and religious dissidents. What's wrong with our world? And I think most of us, whether you are a Christian, self-identify as that or not, um, you know that this world is not the way it should be. That it's messed up. That the world is cursed. So the movie Princess Mononoke, written by Hayao Miyazaki, and there's a minor character in that movie, Osa is a leper, a part of a group of lepers, and she's trying, he's trying to protect a woman um, this woman saved his life and took care of him, but there was a man who thinks that she is also the reason for his pain. And so Osa says, life is suffering. It is hard. The world is cursed, but you still find, but still you find reasons to keep living. Have you ever thought that way before? Just to kind of like, there's no hope for this world. So let's just bear grin it and make the best out of it. Well, Scripture's answer says tonight why the world world is so messed up. It starts here, right, in Genesis 3. We hear about God pronouncing this curse upon um, three characters, the serpent, Adam, and then Eve. This is after Adam and Eve have committed the first sin. So please look along with me as I read it. Genesis 3, this is starting in verse 14. So remember, this is after... Uh, Adam and Eve had sinned, and now God is coming to them and pronouncing this curse. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bear forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife's wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's God's word. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we ask tonight that you would help us. Uh, we remember that we come to your word. Uh, these are This is spiritual truth and wisdom, and we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to teach these things to us more than just words on the page or even truths, Lord. Give us understanding. Give us discernment. Give us faith. Um, help us to see how your word connects it right into our very hearts and lives. Lord, would you be with, us and be with us now where we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want to look at three things from this passage. First, I want to look at the curses upon this world that the passage talks about. The curse... I want to talk about the banishment from the garden, and then we're to ask, what are we to do with that? So curses, banishment, and now what? So let's first look at the curse, that how the world is cursed because of the fall. God pronounces the curse first upon the serpent, and then Eve, and then Adam, in that order. So to the serpent, who we, we talked about last week as representing Satan, who tempted Eve through the snake, God says to him that he is cursed above all creatures. And it says there, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. So again, I want to say there's only a lot of stuff tonight. I won't get to explain in full. So again, feel free to text uh, your questions if I don't answer them. I just want to briefly touch upon this. This doesn't mean just that some myth fable, how snakes lost their legs and now slither around. Um, it doesn't mean that they're the worst animals in the world. Although personally, I don't like snakes. They're not my favorite. But this is kind of like how, after the Noah's flood, how the rainbow was supposed to be a sign given from God that he would never again destroy the world with water. Whenever we are to see snakes slithering around, we are to remember God's judgment on Satan here, Genesis 3. And what is the dust supposed to mean? A dust was a, a way in the Old Testament that represented God's judgment. I mean, we even use this today, eat my dust. Right? So this right here, as star, is a judgment on Satan, um, condemning Satan for, for tempting Adam and Eve and leading them to fall into sin. And then the second part is really important. He says, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, and her offspring. Um, now, that word enmity, what does that remind you of? You don't really use it very often, but... I'm pretty sure you used the word enemy before, right? Enmity, enemy. It means hatred, strife, everything that came out of here, violence. And that's part of all the fighting and the warring and the violence that happened ever since uh, sin. But in a specific way here, this is talking about the warring between two different kinds of people. There's the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Now, so what does that mean? It sounds a lot like, you know, this is why a lot of people talk about Genesis being a, a total myth, right? But it actually means that there would be a clash between two sides. Um, those that come from the woman, meaning that those of the sin from Eve that was love and follow God, and those that are called the seed of the serpent, meaning all those that love themselves and unwittingly follow and serve Satan. So if you're a Christian, um, maybe you've been taught this before, you know that you're in a spiritual war, 
you know that um, Satan hates Jesus and therefore hates all those that belong to him and follow him. And so not only does he come after him, he comes after you. This explains, if you read the rest of the Bible, why there's so much violence through the Old Testament against Israel and God's people. Um, in the New Testament with the early church and persecution, and even today, right, hatred for Christians. Now, I just want to give you a quick word on that. So we're not called to fight with weapons and shedding of blood or being internet warriors and name-calling people online. Um, Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We as those that are in this spiritual war realize that we need to take this battle beyond, beyond between just between people and realize that there are evil spiritual forces at work in our lives in this world. And we need to pray, therefore. We need to pray and ask God to help us to love our enemies, even though they slight us, to pray for them. And then as the passage continues in the Ephesians, to be armed with what God gives us, um, prayer and the word, his armor, so we don't lose heart, so we can stand against the lies in this world through God's word. And so that's part, just from the start, it's part of what we can do in this messed up world instead of adding to that mess. Let's keep going. To the woman, God pronounces the curse of pain and childbirth, an ongoing conflict between men and women. And so um, children, Bearing children, be fruitful, multiply. That was part of God's gift and blessing to Adam and Eve. But now, it would be a painful process. So with the curse upon the world comes much pain. There's so much, you know this, there's so much pain and suffering in this mess up world. And the pain in childbirth is because of that. No wonder so many people don't want to have children. Not just the pain, but there's a postpartum depression, there's the cost, there's the fear of losing individual freedom, and so on. And then you see that even gender roles have been messed up by sin. Um, I think if you look at the next verse there, it shows that there are differences between the genders, but now they're distorted by sin. There's conflict now. There's violence. You've probably heard this phrase, of the battle of the sexes, right? Age-long Conflict between men and women. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. And so what happens here is that in the emptiness of sin, men will try to dominate women. Getting into relationships with women and push them around in unkind, oppressive, and sinful ways. And the word here, rule, means to lord over, means that uh, they will... In an un, un, sometimes unwanted, unfair, oppressive ways, uh, lord it over women. This verse also means for women that they will make an idol out of wanting to possess and control a man, thinking that that will complete them. And so, ladies, your heart seems like Demi Lovato. They ain't nobody. You ain't nobody until you got somebody. But I hope you know that's simply not true. It's a lie. You are somebody. And not because in a mean streak of confidence from within you that you're somebody. 
Um, but you actually you have worth and value because you are a precious daughter of God, your Father, and you have His approval and His love. Tim Keller says um, back to when we talk about men, and we'll make, they will make an idol out of power, just and he, he will lord it over women. Now I know that this can apply to both, both men and women, but I think what this is what is getting at here is that there are differences between the genders, and sin distorts how they relate to each other. And I think, I know most of you in this room are not married, um, but I'm pretty sure that even in your life, you've experienced brokenness in your dating relationships, wanting to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, and so on. And you have felt the pain of the curse and the fall here. Now dating, marriage, Intimacy are all good things, but now they're messed up because of the fall. Now, finally, with Adam, we see that the curse pronounced here, um, which, by the way, I should say real quick, God pronouncing this curse doesn't mean he waves a magic wand and, you know, at you. He's pronouncing, this is what it meant when I said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die and he's pronouncing that curse that's been let out into the world upon people because of that fall. With Adam, we see that the curse upon him in the world affects our relationship with work and rest. Um, and add to that the brokenness we've listed so far. Matt preached a couple weeks ago, work was always part of God's plan for us in this world. But now instead of joyful and rewarding, it's painful it's toilsome, it's taxing, and sometimes there's nothing to show for at the end of the day. You know, you sit there, you look at your book for hours, and like, what did I do today? But now we have to do it to survive. What was once in a land of plenty, we, ha we have to do it to survive. We must live off the work we do, but it, it's backbreaking, it kills us. Whether you are a, a brilliant researcher that labors for years on a special project with hope and ambition, and you see nothing, result, nothing in return on all your years of research, and then your funding gets cut, and then your ambition is your dream of making a difference, an impact, a legacy, and your field of study is over. Or maybe you're somebody who spends his whole life trying to build up a fortune, um, trying to provide for yourself and your family, and instantly overnight that's gone because the stock market crashed or someone defrauded you. This is all part of what it means that um, the ground is now cursed and work is cursed. It's hard, it's taxing. And we, you and I live in a city that works itself to death. And if you can't work anymore, if you're injured, you're then cast off to the garbage heap of people not able to produce. And you're considered no longer valuable, no longer important to society, and you're replaced. And this kind of thing, which is wrong, and as a result of sin, it rips at the fabric of human dignity and just plain humanity. And then you see work, there's death. Right? Ashes to ashes, Dust to dust, from dust you came to dust you will return. 
And so you work yourself to death, and the back to the ground you go. And so it's all work until we die. And we don't know how to rest. And I'm going to say this, I want you to think about it. The concept of rest, I believe, that the Bible talks about is uniquely Christian. Think about God giving us the Sabbath. I know I'm horrible at it. I'm preaching to myself. I'll admit it. I come from a culture and a family that does not know how to rest. So that's now me today as well. I know when I talk to you and we talk about your struggles and we sit down, that we struggle to rest. And I hope that be something, even just here tonight, as you think about that, that you will start to learn. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. Let God be God in your life. What do I mean by that? Watch him take care of everything, even when you're sleeping. Appreciate that myself. Um, go to church. Receive his rest that he has for you. Enjoy God's people. Take some time off and enjoy the good things that God has given you. Not pining after things that he hasn't given you. Believing that he's your good father of the good things he has given you for you to enjoy is for you to have rest. Sit in his presence. Put your phone down and pray. Ask God to be the Lord over all your carries, worries, and cares, knowing that he wants to hear from you and that he will carry you and carry your burdens. So we need to learn that. We'll learn that in a how to rest in a city that never sleeps. So that's a curse. The world is cursed, and now we have the banishment. Um, we saw the pain and death enter the world because of sin. We see and experience that every day. There's now brokenness between people and relationships and marriages and families and childbearing and work, and ultimately it all ends in death. Sin is a home wrecker and a world wrecker. It destroys our perfect relationship to this world that God gave us. It destroys our relationships with each other. It destroyed the perfect marriage that Adam and Eve enjoyed with each other. And then we we'll see here that it destroys our perfect relationship, once perfect relationship with God. Verse, uh, in which ever since, we've been looking for love and belonging elsewhere ever since. Verse 22, 24 if you look there with me, Adam and Eve, they were banished and driven out of this perfect garden, this perfect world. It's one of the saddest places, I think, saddest verses, I think, in the Bible. This was a place of perfect fellowship with God, where God walked with them, of plenty and the peace. And now you see that there is no going back. There's no doing it over again. There was an angel with a flaming sword that guarded the entrance to this garden. And so Adam and Eve were cast out, banished from the presence of God in this garden, away from his presence. So what do we do? What hope is there for this world? Oh, it's okay, through, through human ingenuity and innovation, we can fix this world. We have technology, we can produce more food, can produce medical cures. We have better counseling now. We have better understanding how the mind works. Those are good things. But does that remind anybody of the Tower of Babel? We have bigger bombs now, so we don't have to be afraid of other countries. Really, is that supposed to make you feel safe? Not trusting in others? 
always watching over your back. The statistics of murder and poverty and death in year 2019 and going into 2020 are not good. Mind you, all those things I just mentioned and more are really good things and they're necessary. And in fact, I hope many of you will go, remember that as you go into your respective fields of study because you wanna make an impact on society and the world. You do wanna make it a better place and engineering and art and dance and teaching and acting and finance and law, you should pursue those things for the glory of God, for the good of this city or whatever city God puts you in and showing people the hope that you have of God's coming kingdom. But recognize, I, I wanna remind you though, that none of those things can do a single thing to reverse what happened here at the fall. Not a single one of those things that what we can do can solve the problem of sin in this world. And no one has ever found a solution to aging and death, because pain and death and suffering, no matter who you are, no matter how rich you are or popular you are, will still come for you in this world. But God doesn't leave us without hope. Even in this chapter where we see the world crumbling, we have three verses in this passage that show that God's not done with us and that he had not given up on his creation. That he had a plan to redeem his creation and to reverse the curse that the world was under. Real quick, I want to go real quick. Verse 22, even while being banished out of the garden, you actually see it says there real quick that it's actually for their good because if they were to eat of the tree of life, they would have lived in sin and misery forever. So there's a hint here that God must have a plan to save his creation. Then you go back to verse 15. It tells of the seed of woman or the offspring of woman. He would bruise the head of the serpent. There would be one that would come to save us from the serpent and the offspring of the serpent. Now, I'm not going to get into that too much because that's, that's Matt's sermon next week. Um, so there's a hint, and then there's the one coming. And then now we have... Going back to verse 20 and 21, you see that God doesn't just dismiss them forever. God provides for them. It gives them a sacrifice. of Sacrifices animals to cover their nakedness and their shame. And then somehow, after hearing about all this, these curses of violence and death, how is it that Adam calls his wife Eve, the mother of all living? How does he do that? After all this doom and gloom, after the curse, how does he do that? I think it's because Adam knew that God wasn't done with him. That God wasn't done with his wife or this world. That there was still hope for this world. That somehow after the fall, Adam and Eve believed that God would save them from this death and this pain. And this promised one that comes in verse 15. So after that, the drama of the entire Bible unfolds after that. We're looking for this one, the new birth of a baby, right? And you think about babies, they're cute. Um, every time there's a new birth, there's a sense of hope and joy and anticipation, a reminder that things aren't over, though there's death, there's still life, a new life. And so we look from that point on, is it Cain? Is it the first offspring? Is No, he kills his brother. Is it Noah? 
and his sons? Maybe this is the one? No. Is it Abraham? Is it Isaac? Is it his sons? Is it tribes? No. What about Moses, the great prophet, leading his people, uh, God's people out of Egypt? No. Is it David? No. It's not any of these. And until the Gospels, an angel appears to the Virgin Mary and says, Fear not, for, I, for, I, for, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is, is, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I've been giving Sterling and Haley a hard time about singing Christmas songs, even though it's not Thanksgiving yet. This is why we sing Joy to the World around this time of year in Christmas. That in a messed up world, that we can sing Joy to the World because the Savior has come. Listen to the stanza right in the middle of that song. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. You hear that? Jesus Christ is that one, that promised one that, that was born of woman, born of the Virgin Mary, descending all the way from Eve, the king who has come to deal with sin and shame and sorrow and everything that's wrong in the world because of sin. And as far as the curse is found in this world and the entire cosmos, Jesus comes to make God's blessing flow. Where there was curse, he brings blessings. And if he, what he does is it, he does this by himself being cursed. Galatians 3 talks about he actually became a curse for us, paying for all of the sins that we've committed through his death. And he bears the weight of God's judgment upon this world. So much so that the sky turned black on that day when he did. And he rose from the dead. We Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We call it the resurrection. And it means that there's life. That if Jesus can come back from the dead, that there's actually life for us in this world and the renewal of all things in this world as well. Oh yes, we will still die a physical death. But there's life now with God today that you can have because of Jesus. There's a promise of restored, perfect relationship with God in this life and full in the next in the new heavens and new earth, which if you go and read Revelation, sounds awfully like the Garden of Eden. So this is for you, this is for all, this is for the entire world. Peace with God in our own hearts. It means that it is possible to then have peace with others. It means that we can put down our weapons of war, of trying to get what we don't have because we already have it all in Jesus. It means that people can stop, we can stop the spread of polarization and we can listen to each other and be charitable and not demonize the other. It means that we can forgive each other and be reconciled. That reconciliation between people of different races and ethnicities is possible because of Jesus. Men and women, reconciliation is possible. Dating and relationships and marriages are possible, estranged, Husbands and wives can be reconciled because of Jesus Christ. And for the workaholic, there is rest in Christ, what he's done. 
and what he's finished and accomplished. You see, for the Christian, we don't work six days and then look for rest, right? Live for the weekends. We rejoice in the rest accomplished and given to us by Christ that allows us to then joyfully enter into the six days of work that God's given us to do. Right? It's totally flipped over now because of Christ. It's, it's God's grace and rest in Christ before our own works and labor. Right? We, have to, we have to get that in the right order. So as exam season comes for us soon, and then Christmas comes, I want you to think about that. Take heart. Take heart as you think about how messed up this world is. And we can sing joy to the world that Christ has come to reverse the curse of this world, that in him there is hope and joy for today and this world now and what, he's come, what he brings when he comes, the new heavens and new earth where there is no more sin and no more curse and no more pain and tears and there will be no more death. Amen. Let's pray.